What matters most to us in times of consequence? Is it wealth? Is it prestige and power? Is it likes or favorites? To me, in my life, what I hope to center is that friendship, family, empathy, compassion, quirkiness, humor, and hope will win out even amidst the fray of this transient and turbulent life. My name is Rob Lee. I'm a pastor, a public theologian, and author working at the intersection of faith and public life. I want this podcast to be a place where I interview those people who are exemplifying what it means to exist with complete abandon in this life. I want to know more about how they view themselves, their craft, and the world in which they live so that we all can imitate them. Together, we can reteach the world its loveliness. I hope you'll join me. Oh, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. If you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be for me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. y'all. It is Rob Lee for Beloved Journal. I hope you're doing amazing this Saturday morning. I just wanted to come to you really quickly and let you know about our guest for today. Our guest is comedian Dustin Nickerson, who is currently opening uh, on Taylor Tomlinson's tour. Taylor Tomlinson, a hit comedian who we talk about a little bit on our show today, but mainly we're talking about Dustin Nickerson, a man I have come to admire and appreciate his own comedic talent, all he's doing to make the world a better place all he's offering to make us laugh. He's got a special out on YouTube that we'll link in the notes. It's called Runs in the Family, and I hope you'll check it out. He also has an amazing book uh, that you can find by searching for his name or checking the show notes, too. So with that, uh, without much more, let's uh, listen in to Dustin Nickerson today. Dustin Nickerson, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is awesome. This is uh, doesn't usually... The way that you connect via podcast does not usually go, I saw you at a live show, and I was already following you on Twitter and when crazy. you reached out to see if I would do the pod. It's I never loved happened it. this I loved way. It. It, it was, it was, it was uh, the, 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 the fates aligned, and it was perfect for us. But, right. but listen, listen, you're coming on my podcast. I'm so grateful for that. And, and we, you, you as a comic are not afraid to swat a hornet's nest, and it seems like you've swatted a hornet's nest. Hornet's nest, and I want to give you some time to defend. I already know, I, I already know what this is about, <laughs> and perhaps elaborate on your statement uh, that Cracker Barrels are just waffle houses <laughs> with gift shops. My mom heard about this. She's not on really? any of those streaming TikTok, Instagram reels, whatever. She heard about this. And yeah. I was like, well, hey, I'm going to go straight to the, the comic's mouth and get his 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 uh, uh, opinion on the subject. You know, what's so funny is you you make a video specifically on TikTok and you'll you'll get notifications if that video is getting views. 
And maybe every once in a while you'll get a view that somebody, you know, stitched it or responded. But I, I realized I went looking just the other day. I didn't realize how much it had blown up specifically on TikTok with so many people responding and big video responses of it. It was hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I texted my buddy Kev Fredericks, Kev on stage. And I said, a controversial food opinion that's getting millions of views. It's like I, it's his master class of internet content. <laughs> and so I, you, you guys, my favorite part about it, about that joke and, and take is that uh, people are equally offended by Cracker Barrel and Waffle House. Like they view it as a slight, as a Waffle House or a slight of Cracker Barrel. Which to me proves my point that these are so much closer in quality than you think they are. <laughs> such a, and I understand that the dining experience is different. There's a lot more fights in one. There's a lot more segregation in the other. I get it, <laughs> but it, it almost proves my point a little bit more that uh, you know I think uh, uh cracker barrel folks uh they don't realize they're as close to waffle house as they'd like and vice versa well maybe we're all garbage because i kind of wonder like i was thinking about this i was like well where do i fall on that spectrum and then i realized our family goes to like waffle house on christmas eve because we don't want to cook and then we're right. at cracker barrel last sunday and i was you know my parents talking about this tiktok and i'm just you know so where do you fall on the spectrum of uh kind of the, the, yeah. the waffle house i mean Lives have been the, lost over this, so yeah. <laughs> I I have no loyalty to either. I think they're both fine, uh, and I think the when I say Waffle House with a gift shop, that entails more than just the gift shop area. That to me entails this is the type of establishment that would have a gift shop. This is more of a museum type. Uh, kids exhibit type thing more than just the actual gift shop itself. Uh, I think they're both very fine and very mediocre and serve their purposes in life. That's all. But I, you, I, you would like, represent both of them if given the opportunity for a for an advertisement sponsorship, right? Yeah. And yeah, people are mad at me because I'm not from the south. They're like, these are not the same. And I was like, that's why I can speak to this because I have no loyalty here. I've never. Um, I've never heard to come uh, bond with a family member at Cracker Barrel or fight with a family member at Waffle House. I've never done either of those things. Exactly. I've done both in my own way. They uh, they both serve their purpose. Both are very mediocre food experience. Well, there you go. There you go. So so listen, I, I had a, a seminary professor. I was thinking about this interview with you. You're, you're a really fascinating character to me, in, in, both in life and, and on stage. I had a seminary professor who said that preachers, jazz musicians, and stand-up comics all come from the same cloth if they do it right. Mm. Um, and what he meant by that is that we all, I mean, you know, and I'm kind of removing myself from what I do, but we look at it as a performative act. Like what we do on, right. up on stage or in church or on, on in the concert hall is kind of all this, like we're performing for something. Um, you know, some some believe are, are a little more holier than thou than others. Um, uh, whatever let's let's you know whatever but seeing that you've worked in both churches and nightclubs 
what are the similarities yeah. that you see between the two? I mean, there's obvious differences, but what are the similarities yeah. you see between the was, two places? Was also a jazz bassist. So see, there you, you go. Also, you got the trifecta. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that one I didn't, uh, that one didn't make it beyond senior year in high school, though. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly similarities. Um, you know, I think that, I think that, I think, I see the jazz in the, in the stand up one very tightly linked um oh it's a they're both subcultures of a greater culture um jazz being a subculture within music um you know and having it's people saying this is the very best thing and then also jazz never being i mean aside from the count basie duke ellington days like never being the main thing the most popular thing like even when stand-up's big you know, it's never as big as the biggest comedy movie or the biggest comedy show on TV. It's it stand ups its own little kind of niche thing. Um, but it does. It is very similar and that it starts with a, a set of ground rules, a basis. You study the notes, you learn, you learn your scales, you learn your music. And that's the foundation that you build from to improvise. Um and to kind of play with the crowd and meet them with what they want. So I see jazz and comedy very similar. That being said, there's some stand-ups that are wonderful and they never break script. They do they do a exactly pre-written thing that they planned on in advance and and jazz can be like that too. So uh, as far as like nightclubs in um and churches the connection I mean my first thought is both of them are whether it they're looking for depending on the parishioner of either they're going in looking for something very specific and i think that that's very different than like if you go to a concert kind of a known experience um but there's certain when you go into comedy your 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 primary i think the primary co- comedy goers is looking for escapism they're looking to um they're looking for levity they're looking for someone to help them take things less seriously and and find the comfort in that and i think there's something very um similar in the the parishioner the church going that they folks are going hopefully uh going for but as you know people go to church for a variety of reasons but they're going for some sense of can you make me feel better about all this and i think that that's that's very similar i think that a lot of church goers and a lot of comedy club goers are are both going this is all very hard for me can you make me feel better about this can you make me feel better about my life my purpose everything that's going on and you know how to make sense of everything if that makes sense. I don't know. What do you think? You certainly have a... a, a I kind of see this like performative in some ways too. And I don't mean that performative in a bad way. Like, you know, people say when I like preaching is performative, we, we feed off crowds too. I mean, Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like when you're up there uh, in the pulpit, if, if they're just looking at you kind of, you know, you can tell if people are picking up what you're putting down. And and I I imagine in a similar way to that, what's going on in a stand up comic club, you know, I mean, and that's one of the interesting things about it, right. Is that, you know, and, and I want to be clear, like, you know, for people who might listen to this podcast simply because they like you and have no idea who I am, I personally think that most Christians are the worst. I try not to be like, the, you know, <laughs> so I'm kind of looking at this right, you know, right, from right. my standpoint and seeing that, you know, 
it's not a bad thing to be performative. It's it's a bad yeah. thing if it gets to yeah. your head in, in my context, at least. Sure, I, I misunderstood you know. your question. I thought you were thinking more for the person that attends and less. No, for the no person I mean, well, that's well, that's true too. I mean, I think you're right too. I think that you know we're all looking for something and we're all trying to fill that 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 void in a variety of right. ways too, right? Like, I mean, yeah. we're not, um, you know, people don't go to comedy clubs, uh, you know. To, to get the religious experience but they go to find something uh, right but they ways. they off, but they often do go self-righteously and ready to judge <laughs> uh, but i will say that the similarity that between the preacher and the comedian it in its um in its most basic way it's just a person on stage talking no backup no band to hide behind uh, it's just you, it's a, it's a very, standup is a very audacious form of, of, of entertainment. It's very American to even think that, that we even have any business doing that to just go, everybody sit down and listen to me. I, I have some things to say. And so there is a vulnerability in that. And there is a need to like you said, to make a connection with the with the people in the audience, the people in the pews, whatever it may be, just to go, listen, I I will be better at this if you are better at this. I will be as good as you are, or at least I'll be better. Um, you know, and then sometimes it, you know you can give the same message, the same jokes to twenty different crowds and have twenty different reactions. So there is the live performative nature of it, which does keep it as an absolute wild card and experience. Well, we had Ke Kelly Carlin on the show uh, last season, yeah. And, and I was talking to her, and she was talking about how like George always saw it as like a this was this was the moment, right? Like you're coming into this moment ready for it. You've got all these mm. tools, and I mean, I think about it's just it's a wonderful preaching comparison. I don't know, I just I love that, and I love I think that should be explored in some ways. But you've got a fabulous new uh, special on YouTube. Uh, tell us about it, but yeah. also I want to hear a little bit about, uh, we're linking it in the notes, of course, so that people can go see it, but I'm Thanks. curious, what are some of the advantages to pushing it out on YouTube? I mean, I was really, I loved it. I love being able to sit there and watch it through and not have to worry about, you know, other stuff, but I'm curious, what were your advantages there and tell us about the show? Well, listen, it went on YouTube because that's where I could get it. <laughs> like I would have loved to have it on Netflix, but Netflix did not share that sentiment. So we are in kind of an era right now where like it's all about giving it to the people though. And we're watching in real time um, networks uh, and TV and streamers and movie studios, maybe not crumble, but certainly lose the monopoly that they had. There's, there are less and less gatekeepers. Now what that means ultimately um is it is harder to make a living uh wage out of comedy though because you don't th there's less money on youtube there's like th that's a disadvantage i mean it might translate to more views but that's not a guarantee either because people will go like well look at ali sadiq special and on youtube or sam morels or or kelsey cooks hit a million real quick and that's great but for every one of those, there's 50 that you didn't see of comics that went out and it didn't get noticed and they lost money on the endeavor. And so there is inherent risk. It is nice to not have any kind of gatekeep, though, that like anybody who wants to watch it, it is right there for you. You don't have to be on Netflix. I don't need the promoter behind it. 
That being said, I would like to promote or behind it at some times, or you know, but there is it is easier to access. Like somebody can text you the link to my special and you can be watching it in seconds. So that's an advantage. Certainly the it's it's more accessible, uh, for sure. Um the other advantage is is the and I would say the biggest advantage is you have a hundred percent creative control over it. That you there's no um, studio telling you what jokes to do and not to do. There's no feedback on it there. You choose your release date, you choose your release art, you choose and you own it. That's like, I own it. My kids will own it after them. They'll like every having, being able to own your thing to clip up, to post the jokes that you want. Um, you know, that, that, that absolutely, uh, makes it, makes a huge difference as well. And I mean, to, you know, to, if somebody wants it a year from now, I can give it to them. You know, there's, uh, there's a huge advantage to, uh, to owning. I would say that's the primary advantage, but there, it, it isn't, um, listen, the top 50 comedy specials last year, 40 of the 50 were still on Netflix. So it's not again, some home run, like, Hey, this is the way to go. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch it though, because that is Netflix's only competition. Really, is YouTube like Amazon, uh, you, um, HBO? They're just not like consistently seeing the views that the other ones are. And ultimately, when you make a thing or you write a book or whatever it may be, the goal is to get as many people to see it. And and you release independently. There, you get scared because you go, well, am I enough as an engine? Is this going to go viral? Is this going to like? Um, is is Lord Algorithm going to bless this for me? Well, you know, I, I sent it to my brother, um, and that's how, that was one of the things I did appreciate about it that you said, like I could just send it, you know, text it to him, hey, that you've got to see this, this is hilarious, yeah. And, and, and I think that not only, you know, that was really good, and we were able to talk about it after, you know, like there was that, real, yeah. there was that human connection that sometimes you don't have. I mean, not bashing any other services, but it's just like I just really appreciate that I was able to just text him and say, hey, here's this link, take a look. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very fast. So, so, so you you talk about this in your special um, that I, I just uh, it resonated with me. You were talking about being a girl dad, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, I have two daughters. I adopted them uh, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, they are amazing kids, but I think it takes a really unique person to be a girl dad, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. what was it like telling those stories? And again, this is where the preacher and and comic I, I see a connection there because oftentimes I'm telling stories about my kids and. You know, what was it like telling those stories up there on stage um, in, in that public of a format? I mean, you're talking about real issues with your kids. I mean, and, and right, how, how did right. you determine what was best for that and how to tell those stories? Yeah, I mean, it's like any joke where you're you, there is a tightrope situation that you're doing. Um, to quote Seinfeld, there is he, he tells his kids like we're a comedy family. Everybody plays their parts. And so there is an element to that. Uh, but also my wife and kids have full like veto power on anything. They can say, I don't like that. Don't say that about me. And it's gone immediately. So um, there are lots of jokes over the years that I've written and that I put in that special that they go, I don't, I don't like the way that makes me look. I don't know the way the way that makes us look. So um, then after that, level of veto has been there's just the like you ask yourself like what is this um ultimately what am i trying to say here will this be potentially misinterpreted yes to um, 
to make a, and create a thing is to guarantee that you will be misinterpreted. It is just the nature of creating and releasing something. I mean, I see that in my book reviews constantly of just people going, I go, wow, you missed what I was going for by a mile, you know? And, but that's just the nature of, of what we do. And, and so if there are jokes on there where someone's like, wow, I can't believe he said that about his kid. I always know like, well, I'm not trying to make them look bad. That's never my goal here. My, I actually go out of my way to, to say great things about them on stage that, and, and sing. Uh, and if I am saying something kind of like negative or disparaging, it, I usually self-deprecate I'll, like I'm doing the, the grades, the grades joke. I never say which kid that is. And I also go, I've seen that report card before. Like I'm saying, this is me. And that's stand-up comedian or real estate agent. Like I'm saying like, this, this is on me here. So, uh, you know, I try, I think earlier on in my career, I had more jokes than just about like my, um, you know, like when you, you start off a little more happy when you start that are a little more just like my freaking kids. And I find it much more interesting now to be like, to be a dad that like loves his wife, loves his kids and speaks almost exclusively positively uh, about my love for them, but still trying to communicate the sentiment and the hardship of, um, of, of being a parent. And cause I, I do think that there is uh, it can be very cathartic to hear a comedian, uh, you know, be like, yeah, man, this is, really really hard all the time and you figure you figure out how to do parenting right about the time that they move out unfortunately well one of the things i love about your comedy that i think that that hits home for so many people that is the cathartic portion of it i mean you've been married 18 years at least that's what last check of your bio um yeah you've you've been uh you have kids i mean I don't want to say that's abnormal for your profession, but that's a little abnormal for what oh, like, it's very, it's the, very the abnormal. image that we have of that. And, and so it's nice to see you so honest, but so identifiable too, in some ways. But what would I, to go deeper into that, one of the things I, I just love about your work and have such respect for is it's like, okay, I have been married 18 years, but not all of those 18 years have been easy or fun or right. delightful or, or a walk in the park. You're very honest about the ways in which you've had to work to keep those things and to work to grow those things uh, that you now cherish. And I think, I, I don't know, I just think I appreciate that about you. So, Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's the, um, listen, the Oscar Wilde quote, right? Be yourself, everybody else is taken. There is an element of, when I sometimes there are things where I go like, well, it is pretty rare that I've been married this long uh, that I have. When you, when you tell other comedians, you have three kids and then my kids are older, too, because I had a whole life before stand up. They are like uh, they're like, what? It's like very shocking to people. It's not necessarily shocking to crowds, but it is shocking to um you know to to my fellow comics and people in the entertainment industry. And I think at first that made me feel very different. And I was like, well, I need to write kind of more generically just about maybe like aging or culture or thing, pop culture or things happening in the world, current events, stuff like that, um, so that everyone relates to me. And the more you think about it, you're like, no, but these are these are the things that make me me. These are the things I'm not trying to be liked by everyone. I'm trying for the people that really connect with me to find me. That's my goal. So there are 
you know, there are multiple jokes in there about getting in and that special about getting married young because we were religious. Like, you know, there's there's several jokes that I'm like, if you get this joke, you this will be your favorite joke because it, you've never heard a comedian say this because there's only one me. Right. There's no one who's gone through these specific experiences here. So, uh, yeah, thank you for noticing that. And it makes sense, of course, that you are in the uh, the demographic that uh, that relates to it. Well, it's interesting too. You know, I had a friend um, who who's seen your special, and she was saying like th- that joke that you were talking about the the getting married young because she was religious. That's a special type of a, a brand of Christianity too. I mean, right, like with, right. even within the the larger yeah. ecosystem of faith, and, and she was like, she felt identified too in the same way that you felt. Like this is my joke. This is who I am. I'm going to stand here, and this is going to be my joke. Right. People were also, they were playing off that, right? Like there was that recognizable feature and that's what made it so funny and so real is that you, while this has happened to you, there's a lot of other people who have felt that way and felt that fear of like, yeah, I don't know if I can do that, you know, whatever, but they felt it and they they heard that joke and it resonated with them. Right. And I, and I'm not, I'm not anti it either. And I don't ever want to come across as that, you know, unless I genuinely was, you know, it's, it's it's very similar. Like, I probably read reviews and comments more than I should, and it's because I have a crippling need to be liked. You know, um, you're not supposed to do that, right? Like, that's the like, I know. number one rule. In all this. <laughs> yeah, that's the what they. Oh, I know, I know. But do you do you read comments? Oh, I, I can't, I can't. But most of them are so. I had to look up what people were calling me. I didn't know the names. Like, there was one particular name that someone was calling me. I don't even. What's well, my podcast? I can say it, but I I, di- I don't repeat it because I was like, I have no idea what this means, and I had to look oh, it up. What people were calling me. And I was like, oh, I, I'm not that, but okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 easy to say not read the comments. It's easy to say oh, yeah. that. And then it's, and then I just told you, I just admitted that I'm reading the comments because I'm telling I mean, you what they mean. Your so. your phone literally notifies you about them. You know, you go into the because you you are. I know you're not supposed to read the comments, but I also know that those apps want me to engage with the comments, and I'm trying to get myself seen. And I also know that I'm checking to see if my thing I made is doing well. Like I'm not actively like, what are they always saying about me? You're like, it's, it's, if you're on social media, you're going to see them. But one of the things, one of the, the, it's so funny. I, I look at my reviews for the book that we published last June and almost every negative review and, you know, and they always hit you with the one star is, and you're like, dang, man, that really brings the rating down when you do the one star. Almost every negative review is upset that we talked about faith in our book and not in any preachy way, um, but that it was acknowledged at all um, because I thought this was a comedy marriage book. And you go, well, the promise of this book is that it was a memoir and what we've gone through. And so simultaneously, people who don't relate to that go, I hate this. Why is this in here? This doesn't relate to me. But then the people that do relate to it go, thank God this isn't here. And you go, well, I made it for you then, you know, because nobody makes something that everybody liked. It's impossible. Nobody, nobody is universally liked. Like I, I was telling Melissa that I went out and I was like, oh, I have like a 4.12 or something like rating on Goodreads for my book. And I was like, that's not very high. And then I went and looked at A Tale of Two Cities, 3.8. 
like who gets on and, and puts a negative review on Dickens, you know? Yeah, or the Bible, even. I mean, like, there's you yeah. Know, you read, <laughs> you the ratings on that one. Oh yeah, people get and really, and I understand that people get triggered by that stuff. Well, and I mean, I get that too. But I also think it's interesting. A lot of times, what I've had in, in my own work is people. A lot of the one star reviews I had on my book hadn't even read the book. They'd just seen me right. on TV and they go, and I don't like this. I don't like what he's saying. I, I know what he's saying yeah. because I, I didn't read the book. And Listen, so, uh, you know, yeah. that's all, it's, you can't. Yeah. As somebody who was not raised in the church, but went to church and has worked for churches and now works in a primary secular world in Hollywood, but also still is a Christian and still goes to church close-mindedness is not a christian idea it's an everyone idea it's it's you people are you are open-minded or close-minded regardless of whether or not you are an atheist or a christian or a buddhist or whatever it may be that's a that's a that's a part inside of you that's got nothing to do with your belief system usually like because i i see just as much of like i hate this because it is christian or I hate this because it isn't Christian. That's just, <laughs> that's human nature, baby, unfortunately. So, so, so I want to ask you, you know, I have a feeling, at least in our conversations that we've had outside of this, that we, we have some similar thoughts on some of the, and I don't want to group you with me. I dare not do that and insult you in that way. But like, like just faith-wise and being a person of faith in a world and working in a world that is not always, you know, embracing of that. I don't want to ask yeah. what's that like because that's a stupid question. I do want to ask though, what has it been? How have you navigated those waters in such a way that people don't feel automatically alienated with you right. when you hear like I'm a Christian? You know, you say that, and and you know the red flags go up. But I mean, I get that, and it, it, in some ways, it's justified sure. because people are, are are mean and vindictive and judgmental. I mean, there was a sure. there was a research report out recently that said that. The three words that described Christians were judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay, and, and I'm, I try to be none of those things, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So how do you how do you navigate those waters and saying, "Hey, that's not me. I'm trying to be this, per or, or or whatever you are. I'm trying to be the right. best version of myself, and that includes a portion of my life that is faithful." Right. I think that there is an element where I know that the macro judgment I have no control over. What people say or don't say about me online, we're talking about the book reviews, people are like, you know, or, or people that like dismiss me as a comedian because I am a Christian, people who've never given me a chance. Uh, that's not, I have no control over that. And usually, in my experience, uh, that has something to do with something I had nothing to do with. You know, their story, their dad, their history, their church experience, whatever it may be that that's all in there. And I totally get that. And I totally respect that on a micro level. It's had, I mean, even on a macro level, it's had little to no experience, uh, effect on me whatsoever. I don't think that people, I think that very few people care. I think they care about in my work, how kind you are to people and how hard you work and the quality of the work that you put out. That's what they care about. I don't, I find if you're nice to people, they don't, they don't care. Also, a lot of people are asking questions and a lot of people like having dialogue about these things. You know, like I, you know, I, I listen to comedy podcasts and stuff all the time where people are 
just I mean feel with Rain Wilson this last week. I mean discussing spirituality and the afterlife and God, all that stuff. I mean people are having these conversations, real life conversations, and I just think that as long as you treat people well, you work hard, and you put out work that you're proud of, like that's uh, and even that last one's not even as important. It's really how you treat people, and 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 people will in our business judge you by your work ethic too. You know, yeah, uh, and. Uh, I, I think that it it, it has had um, it didn't have the effect that I thought it would. And I know people that have like run from those labels because of that. Um, and I totally understand why they do. But I again, it, to me, it, it, it's um, I don't know. It just hasn't really mattered one way or the other. Speaking of people who work hard, um, you've been touring with Taylor Tomlinson. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, like, I love her. I, I don't know her. I, I you know, I, she, she seems amazing, though, and she seems like a really hard worker. She's always posting. She's always putting content out there for people to 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 look at. I mean, and you guys have such a great dynamic. I mean, I, I saw you on tour, loved it. Um, Thanks. What? How did you get to know Taylor, and what was it like working? How has it been touring with her thus far? Yeah, I mean, we were open micers together. Taylor and I have known each other since. I started like 11 years ago. We weren't super friends early on because she was like a teenage girl and I was like a grown adult man and we had no reason to be friends. Uh, <laughs> but we just started doing a lot of different gigs together. We would do churches and clubs and, you know, bar shows and open mics. I mean, we were doing every gig under the sun that we just kept crossing paths and then we both started working the road around the same time. And, and you do that, that you kind of find road buddies who around Thursday, Friday, you're like, hey, where are you at this weekend? Where are you at this weekend? You know, that kind of communication. So um, and touring with her is, uh, you know, Taylor and I have very much a, a sibling dynamic where it's very much big brother, little sister. We know each other very well. We know each other's. Um, you know, uh, down even to the like silly spats that you have sometimes as a, as a sibling, but we both love and care for each other a lot and, and, uh, work together and, and write together and give each other tags and, you know, do those shows together. It's, it's very comfortable to worrying with her. And I think that she would say the same of me and that there's just some of the comfort is the familiarity, familiarity of like, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to be like. I know, um, you know, when you're working with somebody new and you go to a new city, you're like, ah, I don't know how to experience, but you know, you can kind of always uh, trust and, re and rely on that person. So, but I mean, yeah, Taylor's an incredible hard worker. And I always describe her as a unicorn. I mean, there's just no one, she doesn't really have a peer or a contemporary as far as not just the hard work, which is absolutely there, but just the, also just the level of like God given talent of just like, man, you, you are it. You are unlike anything this industry has ever seen you know that's wonderful i i, I feel the same way it's kind of, and that and as you say that i'm trying to think in my head has there ever been a comedian that i was like that, that i can follow the same way i follow taylor um in in that kind of level it's just it's so it's, you both are just fabulous and I, I love you uh both as comedians uh and i'm grateful for the ways that you show up for each other but also for us i mean we get the benefit of that that friendship yeah. right? And, and that that, that uh, uh, yeah. relationship with the siblings and, and all that great stuff. So uh, I want to close with this. On every pod uh, that we have, we, we ask uh, this question. Uh, well, we're starting with season two with this question. And, and I want to ask you, um, who is one person you appreciate that you'd like to give a shout out to? 
Um, yeah, I mean, the I, I know it's cliche, but I mean, there's no one other than my wife. I mean, it's if you ask me this 10 times, I'm saying Melissa 10 times every time. Mel is my uh, co-host of our podcast. She's my wife. She's the mother of our kids. She's the CFO of our business. She's the, you know, she's the muse. She's uh, my hiking buddy. She's my personal, you know, she's, yeah, she's, it's, yeah, she's one of one as far as support, love, appreciate, can't get enough of, will give literally wrote a book about how much I love her. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it, it's one-on-one Melissa Nickerson every time. Well, Dustin, this has been a delight. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, yeah. Thanks for having you me online. Tell us uh, your website, socials, where you, where we can connect with you. Yeah. Uh, DustinNickerson.com. Uh, my special is called runs in the family. That's on YouTube. Um, wherever you are on the internet, Dustin Nickerson is there as well. Um, yeah, no OnlyFans. That's the only one I'm not on, I think. So everywhere else, uh, you type me into a search bar, you're going to find me. Well, and we'll leave it with that. Thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Yeah, thanks for having me. Beloved Journal is a podcast on a mission. Check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Today's podcast was hosted by the Reverend Rob Lee. Find him on Twitter at Rob Lee 4 or on Instagram at Rev Rob Lee. You can find our social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Beloved Journal and finding our logo. Beloved Journal's theme music is a cover of the Golden Girls theme song done by Mipsa. Seriously, they're the best band in the world. This podcast was the dream of Stephanie Lee and was produced by Maggie the Golden Doodle and Frank the Poodle. Go show the world that it's worth fighting for. And as always, thanks for listening.